morning, everyone. I'll read uh, the scripture that we're referencing this morning. It's in uh, 2 Timothy, and then I'll uh, pray, and then we'll begin. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is uh, where the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy. This is what he says. The things which you, Timothy, have heard, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations in one verse. We're talking this morning about passing the torch of the faith to the next generation, so join me in prayer. Father, thanks that we can gather within these walls today. Thank you for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. We trust, pray, and ask that indeed you would teach us this morning, Father, and shape us to be not only people of hope in a generic fashion, but people of hope with intentionality as we look around uh, and, and express gratitude for those who've gone before us and consider our own role in investing in the future. Uh, may, may you speak to every single one of us, Father, in a way that's meaningful as you shape us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So leadership has a lot of definitions, and uh, uh, when we say we're going to talk about leadership, it would be tempting for any number of you to disengage and go, no, not me. I work in the kitchen. I love to be told what to do. I'm not a leader. However, Time out, uh, we're going to reframe this a little bit this morning so that you understand something hugely important and significant for all of us, and that's this. Le- when you boil leadership down, leadership simply means nothing less than a person influencing another person, right? That's true for all of us. And so all of us in the room are here in all likelihood Because someone influenced us with regard to Jesus Christ and matters of faith. All of us in the room are here because somebody influenced us. So the very beginning this morning, participatory, in your bulletin at the bottom of the outline, there's a a little kind of question thing going on here that says, oh, I don't have one that, I've ripped mine from the earlier service, thanks. (laughs) I'll get a new one. It says, I'm here because, and there's a blank, someone invested in me. And it could be a parent, it could be a neighbor, it could be a grandparent, uh, it could be a friend, it could be a youth worker, it could be a teacher. But you're here this morning because someone prayed for you, talked to you, shared Christ with you explicitly, shared Christ implicitly. Who is one person who brought you here this morning? Not literally, physically, though that may be the case. But you're here because someone invested in you. Take a moment now, write it down. You have 30 seconds, actually. So here we go, 30. And if you finish early, share it with somebody. Go, 30 seconds. Twenty seconds. Ten seconds. I'm not kidding. I said 30. That's all I get. Five, four, three, two, and done. Right? How many said a parent? You're here. Look around. I mean, parents are significant, right? How many said a friend? Anyone? How many uh, uh, said a teacher or a youth pastor or something like that? Just curious, because of some guests I know who are here, how many said some, uh, someone related to camp? Anyone? <laughs> no one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. But you see, uh, how many, and how many said something from another category not listed? Raise your hand. Yeah. And so this is, all of us are here because someone in our lives uh, was a person of influence. And that's not by accident. That's, that's God's design, not for some but for all of you. How do I know that? Jesus said it. And if Jesus said it, you can't argue with me, right? Matthew 5, 14, here's Jesus, Matthew 5, 14. You, collectively, anyone who follows Christ, you are, you are what? The light of the world. You're the light of the world. Not, not if you follow me in some significant way, not if you have a gift of leadership. If you're a Christ follower, period, you are the light of the world. Therefore, let your light shine. You're the salt of the earth, Acts 1.8, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, filling you with power, you're a witness. You declare by your life the joy, hope, mercy, generosity of Christ. Because people see that, 
You influence people. We all do. We rub off on each other. It's really profound. You may not even like that. You may not want that. doesn't matter. It's true. And then Paul says it this way. In a self-referential manner, speaking of his own ministry, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, after this kind of this catalog of troubles that he's been facing, and you know, closed doors of opportunities, and he wanted to go there, but he ended up going there, and he was in prison, and you know, life was hard, and yet this is what he says, 2 Corinthians 2, thanks be to God who always, I underline in my Bible, always leads us in triumph and manifests through us the sweet aroma of Christ. And I love that word picture, the aroma of Christ, why? Because aroma elicits in all of us, more than anything, scent elicits a powerful memory. We all know it, right? When I smell paste and crayons, I am in second grade. Mrs. Lemon has just slammed my head on the desk and said, Richard, you talk too much. Stop. You will not lift your head until I say so. I remember it. I'm laying on the desk and I, I could smell in the moment Paste and crayons. And so every time, I, every time I smell paste and crayons, I'm like, yes, Miss Lemon. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's memory. And so the same thing works in this whole area of sphere of influence in this sense, right? Someone sees in you the, like the joy, generosity, unconditional love, uh, servanthood, peace, wisdom of Christ. They see it in you somehow. In the context of a relationship, that is the aroma of Christ, and it elicits in them a memory trigger whereby people say, that's what I want. I want to live that way. I'm made for that. And then you have just become uh, a person of influence. Jesus says that all of us are called to that, to become leaders in that sense, people of influence. And Timoth Paul says to Timothy, look, I'm not just called to be a person of influence. I'm called to help others be people of influence. So I'm called to be a leader or become a leader, and a call to develop leaders. And that's our, kind of our outline this morning. What does it mean to become a leader, and how do I develop leaders? We'll look at both of those things for a few minutes here. And we start here becoming a leader. What is it like, okay, if I want to be a person of influence, how does that happen? Here's the first thing. To become a leader, A, you must be a follower of Christ. If I'm going to be a leader, I have to be a follower of Christ. Why? Because I can't share what I don't have. It's very interesting. When you go through the scripture, I mean, we live in a leadership culture today. And if you like, if you Google, you know, leadership development, boom, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, you know, articles, websites, Harvard, there's magazines about leadership development. And then, uh, try this, Google following. <laughs> no one, right? I mean, that's poetic. There are some. Very few. Like, like, why is that? Well, because, oh, you know, leadership. Hey, let's look at Jesus just for a minute here and acknowledge this. Jesus, whenever Jesus encounters someone, he never says, hey, I have a leadership role for you, ever, never. <laughs> In other words, here's what always begins with Jesus, follow me. Take just that phrase, follow me, do a word search in the Bible, just in the Gospels, follow me. And you find it over and over again. Matthew 4, 19, kingdom of heaven is at hand, follow me. Matthew 8, 22, sees his disciples, calls them, hey, come follow me. Matthew 9, follow me. Matthew 10, 38, unless you take up your cross, deny yourself, and die, you can't follow me, therefore, follow me. And I could go on, but he says it 25 times in the Gospel. And he, whereas he never says, have a leadership position for you, ever. <laughs> you know, recruiting top-notch talent. It all starts with following. Now, so Jesus doesn't make leaders. He makes followers. And watch this. His followers, that's us, we're invited to make followers by virtue of the quality of our lives. So we're following someone and... Uh, the following is such a grand adventure and so transformative in our own lives that other people want to follow too. And by virtue of us following well, we become leaders. Isn't that crazy? By virtue of us following well, we become leaders. But watch this. If I'm following Jesus, the fundamental question on the table this morning at the outset is this, am I actually following Jesus? 
or am I interested in, in a program and personal success and upward mobility, and I, and I clothe all of that in the, in the mask of the gospel, because if that's what your interest is, uh, you've signed up for the wrong thing. To follow Jesus means this, my entire life is at his disposal, and when I'm following Jesus, Jesus will ask of me things that I would never do on my own. Here, David, I know you only have a slingshot, go kill the giant Goliath. Here, Joseph, I don't have these grand dreams, you know, that the moon and the stars bowing down, representing your brothers who will bow down to you. Instead, Joseph, come on, follow me. You're going to be betrayed, sold as a slave, framed for rape, tossed in prison, forgotten. Keep following. You know, I'm going to send you a place you don't want to go, Apostle Paul. You want to minister to the Jews? I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. You want six figures, I'll give you four. You want upward mobility, and instead it's unemployment. You want health, and instead it's cancer. <laughs> you want marriage, and instead it's loneliness. You want expanded sphere of influence. I'm taking all your influence away, Paul, because you're going to prison. What's interesting is, you know, followers follow God in the Old Testament, Christ in the New. Followers follow and they go places they would never have chosen ever. And yet, watch this. It's a, it's a hallmark of those who follow. Not that life isn't, isn't, isn't difficult. It is. Not that there's not moments of crying out. There are. But fundamentally, those who follow, they follow. And, and, and though they are where they didn't intend on being, they're there with joy. <laughs> and that becomes significant. And, 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 and like a testament of the power of the gospel. I wanted to live here. And I'm there. And this is, many of you in the room have a biography that has a chapter in it that you would never, ever have written, ever. <laughs> and if in spite of that chapter, you're a person of joy, then you, you are becoming, you know, a person of influence, right? And so there's that, like the, the foundational truth here, for me, anyway, it's so liberating is this. I, like, I have no control over my sphere of influence, my market share. I have no control. Or even, you know, you are gathered here. I can't control what you do with what I share. I don't have any control. The only person I can control is me. And so, if, look, if I'm going to be a good leader, then I have to first learn to be a good follower of Christ and the only person I can teach to follow Christ and really know that the response is my responsibility, the only person is me. <laughs> so where does leadership begin? With leading myself. Does that make sense? And I just think hugely significant for many of us because we spend our lives externalizing and blaming uh, the lack of response that's out there on, you know, situations and circumstances and, you know, in our family history and different things. And at some point we have to say the most important truth is this, the only person over whom I have the possibility of true control is me. <laughs> And, 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 and so I start there rather than complaining about lack of influence or circumstances. I have found that I'm most effective uh, when I'm just focused on uh, following Jesus. I'm most effective when I'm just focusing on following Jesus. And this is, this is so counterintuitive, right? Because for many of us in the room, we're taught to be very goal-oriented. And we create metrics around our goals. And so we go, we, we're going to go after it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here we are. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to change you. Well, the, here's the deal. I, like, I have no control over that, honestly. And so if I set out to change you or expand my sphere and then it doesn't happen, boom, I panic and I go, oh, what am I going to do? I've got to work hard. I've got to advertise more. I've got to shout more. I've got to be angry. I've got to be calm. I've got I to go through the back door. I've got to be more like Kierkegaard. I've got to be more like Dostoevsky. I've got to be a better parent. I've got to be a better tennis player. I've got to work hard. Like, I've got to do it. And here's the deal, if on the other hand I relax and say, you know what, Jesus, the fruit is not my responsibility, it's yours. My responsibility is to follow you. Then here's the crazy thing that is this, God provides the fruit. And I just, I, I just have to tell you, this is why um, Jesus says, in, I think it's why Jesus says in Matthew 11, if you're weary, come to me and I will give you what? Does anyone know? Rest. Weary of what? We're trying to perform for Jesus. We're trying to change the world. I mean, this guy came into my office this week uh, who will remain nameless because I don't even remember his name right now. But he came, he came into my office and we had this conversation. 
And he, like he said to me, you know, I was working two jobs for like 10 years. And I was burnt out and angry with my kids. And they were both Christian ministry things, right? And then his wife, his wife pulled him aside one day and said, oh, hey, I, I got a newsflash. I want to tell you something. I mean, I was praying for you this morning. You know, wives praying for their husbands. I was praying for you. And I just want to tell you something. You're not the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. In other words, what? You can quit one of your jobs. In fact, I'm asking you to quit one of your jobs. Because you're trying to save the world and expand your sphere of influence. In the process, you're not following Jesus. You're losing the very people who are under your roof. (laughs) We can relax and just follow and realize that Jesus will order our priorities. The scope of fruit, the timing of fruit, the nature of fruit, not your prerogative. Not mine either. It's God's. But we just have to follow. So, become a fo- you want to be a leader? Become a follower of Christ. Second, embrace your identity then as a follower. And, and, and hence an influencer. Embrace your identity as a follower and hence an influencer. What does that, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. There are some of us in the room who really don't want to, we don't want to be an influencer. And there's two reasons why people don't want to be an influencer. On the one hand, some of us just don't want to. It's not, it's not in our personality. We're not ambitious. And others of us, maybe we want to, but we, there's, like, we feel like we're unworthy of being an influencer. Does this make sense? So some of you in the room, are, you're like me. Like when I graduated from seminary, I took this psychological test, 600 questions, and then, and then uh, the, somebody sits down with you and they write this large essay. I still have the essay. Like first paragraph, Richard's smart and articulate, but spectacularly unambitious. And with that adjective, spectacularly unambitious. <laughs> ah, what do you think of that? Right? And you know, so he, said, he shows it to me, and I was like, yep, that's me. That's absolutely me. I, I don't really care. By nature, I, don't, I just don't care. And so, um, God's had to do a work in my heart, right? So that when I, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I have to... I have to recognize, and, and God's done a work in my heart, where now I go, oh, do you know what? I'm, God's given me gifts, and I'm responsible. Remember the steward, like the talents? I'm responsible. i got to use my gifts. And then, lo and behold, I find when I use my gifts, I actually enjoy using my gifts. And so Stephen Covey was this guy who wrote this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, years ago. And uh, I don't remember any of the book other than the quadrant of time and for this morning. Kobe said, you know, I wake up in the morning, I have to put on, like, consciously put on my mantle as a leader. Just this recognition. I am called to bless people today. Now, that's a good word. That was a good word for me then. It's a good word to this very day. I wake up in the morning, and I buy coffee with God. I say, thank you, God, that you've called me to be the presence of Christ in the lives of others. I accept it. Go. Boom. Go. So some of you over here, you're in this withdrawal pattern. Moses was there right? Like God calls Moses and Moses says, well, hang on. Here's the problem. A, you know, who are you? And God is like, I am. That should settle that argument. (laughs) B, you know, where's my credibility? And then if you know the story, Exodus 4, you know, throw the stick and it becomes a snake. And then, you know, leprosy. We've gone over this in the last weeks. It's all online if you want it. There's your credibility, right? See, oh yeah, but you know, I've got this stuttering problem. I didn't do well in speech class, you know, in grade nine, and like I can't talk in front of people. I get nervous. God says, I made your mouth, so shut up and talk, right? <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, every, every complaint is answered, and then here's Moses' concluding statement. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. It's underlined in my Bible. Oh, I don't want to go. I remember watching that Disney movie about Moses. What was that called? Whatever it is. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> and, and when Moses called, I was like in tears. So I was like, whoa, that's me. Unambitious. Remember Jonah? Hey, I'm calling you, you know. Go north. Thanks, I like San Diego. <laughs> Gone. That's the withdrawal pattern. And some of you are there, and if you're there, here's Colossians 3. Put on Christ. 
3.9, actually. <laughs> and if you do, when you put on Christ, then you recognize, oh, Christ lives in me. And, and, and now Christ actually wants me out of the world to be a blessing to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to people all around. That's, that's our calling. So when we put on Christ, we embrace our calling. Then we get over our withdrawal pattern. Others of you want to lead, but, but your sense of inadequacy is preventing you from leading. Oh, yeah, you know, I'd love to make a difference in the world, but, and then whatever is the thing, I'm too young, I'm too old. I've got this story. I've got skeletons in my closet. My business failed. My kids aren't believers. And and so you self-select out, you're on the bench when God wants you in the game. Look, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, 7, and 8, right in there, this is what Paul says. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. My wife faces this all the time because she tries to recruit moms to be mentors in the Mothers of Preschoolers program here at Bethany. And she'll talk to somebody and say, hey, would you like to serve as a, like a mentor mom? And, and moms will be like this. Some moms go, oh, no, no, oh, no, I don't have anything to offer. Which, what, what do you mean by that? Oh, well, you know, like I've never been to seminary and I don't have a Bible degree and I don't know my Bible well and my devotional life's a little faltering and, I, you know, I, all I did is raise three kids. Oh, that's all you did is you raised three kids. Yeah, well, maybe that qualifies you, right? So here's the deal. None of us are adequate. God delights in using inadequate people to do God's purposes, you see it over and over again. And so you got a skeleton in your closet? Is your, listen, is your skeleton bigger than Peter's skeleton in his closet? Which isn't a skeleton because we're all talking about it this morning. Remember Peter? I'll never deny you, Lord. And then boom, boom, you know, three times. And then I'm done. I'm out of here. And then he goes fishing. And then when the, when the ladies come and say he's risen, Jesus says, oh, that's impossible. There's a man of faith, Right? And so, you know, when, when Jesus reunites with Peter in John 21, what does Jesus say to Peter? Do you remember this? He says, he asks him a question, they're eating fish on a beach. Hey, uh, Peter, do you love me? And it's, the, it's this word, you know, agape. <laughs> and, and, and then Peter's response, phileo, it's another Greek word for love, but it's, it's a lesser love. Do you love me infinitely, spiritually, unconditionally? And here's Jesus' answer, ah, yeah, we're friends. And then here's, here's Jesus' response. So, feed my sheep. In other words, I'm calling you to lead. I'm calling you to lead. Be an influence. Not because you love me perfectly. You don't. But because I delight in using broken vessels to reveal my glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So some of you are like self-selecting onto the bench. Get in the arena. Be a follower. Embrace your identity. Know your gifts, Romans 12. You got to know your gifts. We're each uniquely wired to contribute to the story that God is writing in the world. Each of us have gifts. So Paul tells Timothy, look, when you know your gift, devote yourself to you. So some of you, you know, serve. Some of you make lots of money and you're you're generous, which is great because we're about to dedicate a building over here so you can give. That's good. (laughs) Uh, and, 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 and some of you teach, and some of you have administrative gifts, and, 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 and some of you have gifts of mercy, and some of you have gifts of discernment. Great. Whatever is your gift, use your gift. Because gifts are for using, and they're not just for using, they're for using so that the body of Christ can be built up, so that the, the hope found in Christ can pour through us collectively into our city and region and world. That's why we have gifts. So, so find your gift, use your gift. Gifts are for using. If you don't know your gift, we're here to help. So, so uh, you, to be a leader, you have to be a follower of Christ, right? And you have to kind of embrace this mantle, I'm, I'm an influencer, and then, and then I have to find and use my gifts. Now, it doesn't end there. All of us are called not just to be leaders and people of influence, but to develop others so that they can be people of influence. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2. watch my hands. Here's Paul. The things you've heard from, uh, from me, so Paul to Timothy, that's two generations. These entrust to faithful men, that's the third generation, who'll be able to teach others also, that's the fourth generation. Four generations in one verse. Paul is saying to Timothy, in, look, invest, and here's what we see in this very quickly. If I'm going to invest in others, develop leaders, I have to do three things. I have to be specific, I have to be relational, I have to be a servant. I have to be specific, be relational, be a servant. I have to be specific. In other words, um, we don't invest in people kind of generically. 
Oh yeah, you know, I'm making a difference in the world. In whose life are you making a difference? And if you don't have an answer to the question who, then, then you're not investing in the way that God is calling you to invest. So we're going to take another little break here. Uh, uh, and, and in, this, in this one that's not torn up, we're going to write, my goal is to invest in, and then you fill it in. Who, like who are you investing in? Take 30 seconds, write an answer by way of response. Share it if you finish early. You have 25 seconds. My goal is to invest in who in the coming year? Okay, my friend Bruce was in the, the previous service here. There's a Bruce here, there's another Bruce. And several years ago, this other Bruce, who's older than me, which makes him old, right? And he came, like we were talking about the final third of life, and we'd get together and talk about what are we gonna do with this last part that we've been given? And Bruce comes into my office one day, and he's just beaming, he says, I've got the answer to the question, the final third. And he pulls out this piece of paper, and there's the names of all these people like between 20 and probably 30 years old, young adults. I said, what are these? These are, I'm just investing in, this is what I'm doing, I'm investing in these people. Specific people, right? Walking the lake, coffee, going on a drive, coming over for dinner. It's not a program. It's life rubbing off on life. And so <laughs> I'm, in, I'm just saying all I should know like who's investing in us, and all of us should know who we're investing in. Because that's what it means to be a church. All of us doing it. And then, here's the next thing. Not only specific, but be relational. First Thessalonians 2.8 is where Paul says, look, when we're with you, we're delighted to share not just the gospel, but our lives. And so what we see here is Paul is saying that like this this stuff that we're passing is more than just you know, unscrewing somebody's head and pouring in Bible. No, it's very, it's very, like we're transformed by relationship with others. But simply by being together, there's transformation that occurs by being together. And so when I look at those who have kind of mentored me and invested in me, uh, I can't think of anyone who said to me, come on now, we're going to go through this Bible curriculum together. Now, that's not unimportant stuff, but the people who have made a difference in my lives are those who said, hey, come to the staff meeting that I'm running, watch me run a staff meeting, and then we'll debrief it. Hey, uh, come, we'll talk, come watch me lead, then we'll talk about leadership. Or come, hey, let's go skiing together, and along the way, we'll, we'll talk about leadership, and we'll talk about budgets, and we'll talk about uh, sexual ethics in the church, and this is how we learn. <laughs> it's in the context of life, do you see? And so, none of us need a program to get started. All of us are called to being relational. So I have a name on my paper, you don't need a program from me. Go. Do it. And finally, we're called to be, we're called to be servants, aren't we? Uh, that's what leadership is in Jesus' paradigm, and he showed us that by washing the disciples' feet on the night that he was arrested uh, after being betrayed and then unjustly tried and ultimately executed. And Jesus said, I'm not washing your feet because they're dirty. <laughs> I'm washing your feet as, to show you this is how you lead. Which means what? Which means like you're putting the success and well-being of the other above yourself. Best example I can give you of, of, of this, though there are, you could see it in your own life. I mean, like CEOs that exist, you know, for their own wealth and the power of the company, that's not servant leadership. A good, a good leader exists for the health of the organization. And to pass that torch of leadership on, that's why. But like a just kind of a boots-on-the-ground illustration of this servant leadership thing came out in my life with my son some years ago. We were climbing this thing called Liberty Bell on the North Cascades Highway. And my son, I was a better climber than him for a year, maybe two. And then he passed me, and he's been better than me for 20 years now, climbing. So we're climbing together, and uh, we, like, coming down, 
the, the rope got stuck and we couldn't get the rope down. And so we, because we couldn't get the rope down, we couldn't rappel down, right? So somebody had to climb up without a rope to get the rope, about 30 feet. And so I say to my son, son, and it wasn't a hard climb, but you still, if you fall, you die kind of thing. So, so I said, <laughs> I said, you know, son, I've lived a good life. And uh, so let me, let me go get this rope. And my son, he's so, I'm so proud of him, but he, like, he, he just looks at me, he puts his hands on my shoulders. He says, yeah, I know, Dad, that's very generous, but I'm a better climber than you. <laughs> and then, and then, and then I, I began to say something, and he said, way better. <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> he, says, he says, I'm not even afraid. I'll just go get it. It's gonna be, not going to be a problem. Servant leader. Do you understand? You want to be a leader? Like, your life is available so that others can thrive. And that's how you develop leaders. Because that's the kind of leadership our world needs. Um, when it says here in the bulletin, you know, who has influenced you? I wrote my dad's name down. This is his Bible. I shared last week, last week with you guys about the gift that my dad received when he was, uh, I think, 16 years old from his sister. This Bible has it in the cover. It's dated 1933, right? And uh, then dad died in 1973. But dad influenced me in this way. Like he, I don't remember devotions with dad, though I think we had them, but I don't remember. Here's, this is what I remember. I remember the, even though my dad was sick, a lot, and had to retire early because he was sick. He had, he had a real faith that was infused with joy. My dad was always laughing, always made, making me smile, always a man of hope, even though he was sick. And he attributed that to Jesus, and that meant the world to me. So that when it came time to choose Christ, I said yes because I wanted the joy of Christ that I saw in my dad. He didn't preach it. I don't ever remember him quoting Philippians, you know, be joyful. He was joyful. Does this make sense? That's a person of influence. And that's your call and mine, to be people of influence. Others have influenced us. We're called to influence others. And then we're called to create a context in which yet others will enjoy the influence of Christ mediated through us and through our community. So we're going to end our service differently this morning. We're not going to be in here when we end. We're going to be outside. Uh, in just a minute, uh, Candy will come up here, give you some instructions after we have some worship. But right now, this is what I want you to do. Take this bulletin, and there's a tear-off part here, there's a dotted line, and fill in something down here. I pray for, and there's a blank. I what I want you to do is write the name or the category of person that you want to pray for asking that they'll encounter Christ and know Christ and live a fruitful life in Christ because of what God does in and through the new building that'll be right over here. This building now known as the C building will not be here next week. Poof, gone. As we, be we build a new building, a community life center, as we begin our second 100 years together as a church, building a new building so that new generations can know Christ. So maybe you're praying for your children. Maybe you're praying for your children's children. Maybe you're praying for kids from Bagley. Maybe, maybe uh, I don't know, people who are at the community meal. But name it, and then you tear it off. We're going to collect these and put them in a, some kind of a thing in the new building so that we can see what God does as God answers prayer. So uh, service isn't over with this song, but we're going to sing now. And even though it might be a little wet out there, no worries. We won't be out long. A little wet is good for us here in the Northwest. Let's worship together.